Hello, and namaste everyone, and welcome to Living from the Heart. My name is Zach Beach, and if this is your first time joining us, welcome. In each session, I begin by reciting a poem of my own, and I follow that with a short talk, and I finish it with a meditation in order to integrate the benefits of the talk. And today I wanted to talk about a phrase you might have heard of, which is that the longest journey that we have as human beings is the 18 inches from our head to our heart. And I wanted to talk about what it takes to travel this journey. And today's poem is called Nourish Yourself. Consciously, intentionally, purposefully, nourish yourself with loving presence. Open the floodgates of your present heart. Let its torrential river spill over your hardened banks, drenching every thirsty cell of your being. Parts of yourself remain battered and bruised, other parts long forgotten, pushed and set aside, too long ignored. But childhood dreams call for your attention. Old wounds ask for tenderness and care. Scars ask for acceptance. Welcome yourself back to the home of the heart. Be a good host. Offer kindness, soup, conversation, and a place to rest your own weary head. Give yourself exactly what you long for. Consciously, intentionally, purposefully, drip your love like honey across your floating skin. Let its nourishing nectar satisfy the deepest longings of your soul and rest in the pure awareness of your peaceful perfection. And when we finally make that journey of 18 inches, which can take an entire lifetime, or if you believe in karma and reincarnation, it can take many lifetimes. But when we do finish that 18 inch journey, we are able to fully rest in loving presence. And to begin to understand the beginning of this journey, it is first important to understand how the modern person lives from their shoulders up. How we are caught up in our own minds, continuously believing everything that we think. And this is a hard thing for us to understand. There's a story of two fish swimming along in the water. And an older fish passes them by and he says, Hey boys, how's the water? The two fish look at each other confused and they carry on their way. After a few hours, one fish finally turns to the other fish and says, What the hell is water? And I love this story and there's so many lessons we can draw from this very simple story. But I love it because it captures how when we ourselves are so part of and integrated in a certain environment, we can't even possibly conceptualize or fathom a way of living that is different. If you've never been outside of your own culture, it can be hard to even understand how another culture sees the world. And in this case, we have been brought up in an extremely cognitive-centric society one that has elevated the mind and thinking above all else. 
Almost all of our education for the first 18 years of our life is about developing the mind. Very little has ever been about developing the heart. Much of our education revolved around one person talking in front of a room from their mind, and we sat in a chair and we were expected to absorb things with our mind. We teach our kids so many things, but we do not teach them what is most essential about being here and alive. We teach our kids about chemistry and math and physics, but rarely do we teach what is essential, how to love, how to communicate from the heart, how to be vulnerable, how to empathize with another human being, how to meditate and find peace in the here and now. There is a story of a child and her mother, and the mother is an art professor at a prestigious university. And the child asks her mother, what do you teach to your students? And the mother replies, well, I teach them how to draw. And the child looks totally baffled at this and asks, you mean they forgot? And when we have brought up to only be in our minds, inevitably so much is lost. We are cut off from our bodies and from our emotional experience, from our intuition, and especially from the heart and that source of love and wisdom inside of us. We are endlessly caught up in our own thinking, endlessly lost in thought. Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche put it this way when he said, the epitome of the human realm is to be stuck in a traffic jam of discursive thought. And I love that imagery, the traffic jam of discursive thought. And it's those endless thoughts, this endless internal dialogue of imaginations, fantasies, arguments, opinions, stories, and beliefs that we find ourselves so caught up in for the majority of our days. There's a comic that I love, and it shows the cover of a book, and on the cover it says, Hypothetical Arguments I've Won in the Shower. Volume 1 of 16. Right? And that's what the mind does. It endlessly conjures up fantasies and imaginations, and replays scenes from our life over and over in our head, and replays scenes from the future that might never come to be. Mark Twain put it this way when he said, I've had a lot of worries in my life, and most of which never actually happened. And I love this quote too, because it signifies and exemplifies how the mind conjures up scenarios that we will never experience. When we are on a plane and the plane bounces on the runway, we think this is it. This is the moment that I go. Right, The worst things in our life rarely ever happen. We imagine all sorts of scenarios, both good and bad. When we buy a lottery ticket, we imagine all the amazing things that we're going to do with all the money that we have. When we get cut off in traffic, suddenly our entire life flashes before our eyes. When most of the time, when we are envisioning those challenging things, like the plane bumping on the runway, everything is okay. Everything in this moment is just as it is supposed to be. We've lost touch with this reality. Another aspect of the mind that many people get caught up in is the if-only mind. 
And the if only mind is this mental patterning that happens when we think if only such and such were to happen, then we would be happy or then we would find peace. We think if only our partner really understood, if it's only our boss wasn't such a jerk, if only we got paid more money, then we would be able to find peace. So the mind takes us out of the present moment. It takes us out of the here and now. And in so doing, it robs us of our happiness and it robs us of finding peace right in this moment. And another very important entity or pattern that exists in the mind is our sense of somebodyness, what you might call the ego. And our entire life, we have been made to be a somebody. We see other somebodies around and we're supposed to interact as the somebody that we think that we are. And when we were born, we were given a name and a social security number and an address that we were supposed to remember about where we lived. And constantly throughout our lives, it has been reinforced again and again and again in every interaction that we are an individual, an isolated and separate identity from the world. There's a man, and he goes into the DMV office, and the person says, may you identify yourself? And the man pulls out a mirror and says, yep, that's me. And obviously, a mirror cannot show you who or what you are. So too, the mind cannot encapsulate who you are. And our idea of who we are, our ego, comes from the mind and stays in the mind. And if you ask somebody, who are you? Most likely they're going to respond with certain autobiographical information. This is my name. This is my birthplace. These are things that I like, things that I dislike. This is my job. But there are so many much more expansive ways to answer this question, who are you? And there's so many ways that we can inquire into the question, who am I? And this question, who am I, puts us directly on the spiritual path. It puts us directly on this long journey of 18 inches from the head to the heart. So in order to understand this journey, in order to understand where we are going, you have to understand where we are, lost in thought, stuck in our mind, thinking that our ego is who we are stuck in the traffic jam of discursive thought. So to really help us understand the reality of the heart, it can help to think of a wave, a wave like the wave you would see on the ocean. And the ocean, in turbulent times, will come up into a giant wave and go down. So you might imagine that the very tip of that wave that is the ego. That is who we think we are. And we came from the land. We came from the ocean, right? The universe existed before us. We were born from this land, nourished by the plants and animals of this land. And of course, when we die, we would decompose back into the land. You've essentially woken up in these physical bodies and started to take a look around at this world that we live in. The famous writer, Kurt Vonnegut, wrote this. God made mud. God got lonesome. 
So God said of the mud, sit up. See all I've made, said God, the hills, the sea, the sky, and the stars. And I was some of the mud that got to sit up and look around. Lucky me, lucky mud. I, mud, sat up and saw what a nice job God had done. Nice going, God. Nobody but you could have done it. God, I certainly couldn't have. I feel very unimportant compared to you. The only way I can feel the least bit important is to think of all the mud that didn't even get to sit up and look around. I got so much, and most mud got so little. Thank you for the honor. Now, mud lies down and goes to sleep. What memories for mud to have. What interesting other kinds of sitting up mud I met. I loved everything I saw. Good night. Such a wonderful story. And it shows how we are at the tip of that wave coming from the ocean. The story reminds me of the joke. You've probably heard this one. There are two muffins in an oven. One muffin turns to the other one and says, Is it a little hot in here? And the other muff muffin turns and says, Oh my gosh, a talking muffin. <laughs> and that's what we are, right? We are mud that has stood up and taken a look around. And we are mud that sees other talking and walking mud in this life. Computers themselves are pretty amazing too because us walking and talking mud basically moved a bunch of rocks around and eventually taught them to think, right? It's amazing what arises from nothing. So we think we are the tip of the wave and we look around and what do we see? The tips of other waves. And as we look at the tips of other waves, we see doctor, teacher, Baker, male, female, smart, dumb, lazy, beautiful, ugly, right? We see all sorts of differences between each wave. And this, all these differences come from the mind. It comes from the ego. The mind is incredibly discriminative about individual differences. But our spiritual practice the one of 18 inches, is the one of traveling down the wave. And as we get closer to the ocean, we discover a totally new way of being. And this is the level of the heart. And the level of the heart totally flips a switch. Suddenly, all those individual differences that the mind identified don't matter nearly as much. Suddenly, we can connect with other souls, other hearts. And rather than seeing conflict and battles, we see a world of mutuality. We enter a kinship with other people. We realize we all have a heart. We all have love inside of us. So you might call this level of the heart Buddha nature. You might call it the soul level. The point is, there is something deeper within all of us that connects all of us. And this level of the heart is the realm of our actual experience. Our actual experience of being this walking and talking mud. Because the mind will try to label 
and control everything. The ego is the great controller. And it's so easy to think that the labels we have on the world and the models we have about the world is reality, right? We see this dancing pattern of matter and energy that makes these sounds and dances around and we label it as a dog, right? And suddenly this one word labels this entire phenomenon or we label it as flower. But the label that we have is not the same as the thing that we have labeled. And many people get so caught up in the labels. And as the saying goes, these people confuse the menu for the dinner. You, of course, would not eat the menu. You want the actual dinner. You don't want to live forever in the mind of labels. You want to find the realm of experience of the heart. And we shouldn't confuse the explained world for the experienced one. We shouldn't believe everything that we think, but we can feel what is our duty to feel in this moment. And spiritual teachings are even often described as a cup. As somebody hands you a cup, inside of the cup is the tea. And the cup is from the mind. It's the it's the scriptures, it's the teachings, but the tea inside the cup is the actual lived experience. And too many spiritual practitioners focus on the cup and they forget all about the tea, all about the realm of our actual lived experience. So the tip of the wave is our ego, the level of the mind, the level of labels and control, the level of separation and difference. And traveling down the wave, we find the heart. And of course, if we travel down the wave enough, we finally, at the bottom of the wave, find ourselves in the ocean of being, the ocean of vastness, the ocean of oneness. And for many, this is a place of unconditional connection and thus unconditional love. You might call it the ocean of awareness or consciousness or the ground of being. Whatever you call it, we mustn't confuse the menu for the dinner or the cup for the tea because we're pointing to a reality that goes beyond words. The yoga teacher Richard Freeman summed it up this way. And he wrote, A yogi is one who trusts in the truth of pure love, one who drops into all experience as it arises, trusting the essence of the heart which enables the yogi to offer all experience, particularly the core experience of the mind, into the fire of awareness. It is this fire of awareness that is the true guru. So this path of union is what the path of yoga is all about. The word yoga literally means union or unity. And we're trying to find that unity with the ground of being. There's many names for this ground of being. You might even think of it as the realm of spirit. And to me, one of the most amazing insights about this model of ego, tip of the wave, heart, body of the wave, and oceanness is the ground of being, is that it's all still water, right? The ego is still made of water, the heart is still made of water, and the ocean is still made of water. 
So the underlying essence of all that is, is the same. So sometimes when I am asked, what is spirit? How could we define this? I usually answer, spirit is that which infuses all forms and transcends all forms. The poet Rumi put it this way, there is a worm addicted to eating grape leaves. Suddenly he wakes up, call it grace, whatever, something wakes him and he is no longer a worm. He is the entire vineyard and the orchard too, the fruit, the trunks, a growing wisdom and joy that does not need to devour. So waking up in the ocean of oneness, some might call it even a mystical or spiritual awakening, taps us into that ground of being. And it can be easy to think that tapping into that oneness is our ultimate goal. And for some traditions and practices, it is the ultimate goal. You rest in oneness and then you stay there. But for most of us in this modern world, we seek to have a genuine, authentic spiritual life while remaining grounded in our day-to-day -day activities, in our work in the world. So it's not necessarily that we want to rest in that ocean forever. We want to tap into it, understand where we came from, and then we turn to the realm of the heart, which is that plane that integrates the two, right? And it's that heart is where we want to be that space where we remember both our divine nature and our social security number right we want to remain rooted in knowing that we are one with the universe and where we last put our keys hopefully and it's in that meeting where we want to be and find ourselves lauren roche put it this way in his translation of the radiant sutras there is a place in the heart where everything meets. Go there if you want to find me. Mind, senses, soul, eternity are all there. Are you there? Enter the bowl of vastness that is the heart. Give yourself to it with total abandon. Once you know the way, the nature of attention will call you to return again and again and to be saturated with knowing. I belong here. I am at home here. So our heart is that place where everything meets. It is that body of the wave that connects our physical human experience to our spiritual experience. And when we begin this journey of 18 inches, we just discover and feel this enormous upwelling of joy and appreciation and love. Alfred Lamott put it this way in his poem, Gentle. A gentle world begins in the way you touch your heart. Be soft with the light inside you. Caress your body with this breath. God is nothing else 
but the place where the sun comes up in your chest. You are the glimmering destination. You are the golden honey dabbed on the bread of the ordinary. Whatever is perfect, whatever is heavenly, begins right here. I love that line so much. God is nothing else but the place where the sun comes up in your chest. So when we begin this journey of 18 inches from the head to the heart, you might be wondering, what does that actually look like? What steps do we actually take? And it's the most simple thing ever. All you have to do is feel. You might have read Eckhart Tolle and he told you about the power of now. You might have read Ram Dass and he told you to be here now. And you might have even heard the quote that if you're in the future, you're full of anxiety. If you're in the past, you are depressed. But the present is called a present because it is a gift to ourselves. And what people forget is, well, all we have to do to be present, to be here now, is to feel. It's our mind that imagines the future and takes us into the past, but it's our body that is always feeling, breathing, pumping blood, sensing in the here and now. So you want to be present? Just feel. Feel your feet. Feel the clothes on your skin. Feel the breeze across the hairs on your body. Feel what emotions are passing through you. And the most beautiful part about this is the more that you do feel, the more you can feel. It opens us up to a richness of our experience. Many meditators are focused on mental development, are focused on cultivating mindfulness. And they often teach that the mind is plastic, that neurons that fire together wire together. Every thought you have increases the propensity of having that thought again. But all this focus on the central nervous system of the brain and spinal cord forgets all about the peripheral nervous system that connects to the rest of the body. And that same rule, that neurons that fire together wire together, also applies to our body. So if you feel into your feet right now, you are more likely to feel into your feet when you walk barefoot in the grass later. You are more likely to feel and cultivate a connection to the earth. So when we do feel, we tap into our experience and we strengthen our connection to the world around us. And it takes time. This doesn't happen overnight. Qualities like kindness, compassion, empathy, and understanding, these are all things we cultivate when we tap into the realm of the heart. When we talk about this journey of 18 inches, we're not the first ones to take this journey. Others have taken it, and others have reported back some things that help along the way. And one of the biggest things that help this journey of 18 inches is to be rooted in a system of ethics and discipline practice. In Buddhism, this is known as the Eightfold Path, which includes right action and right livelihood. In yoga, the eight-limbed Ashtanga system is very similar. Two of the eight limbs are the Yamas and the Niyamas. 
These are things we're supposed to do and things we are not supposed to do. So we have external restraints like don't lie, don't kill, don't steal. And we have internal observances like contentment and cleanliness. And as the saying goes, it's hard to find peace in this moment after a long day of killing and stealing. Right? If we want to calm the mind in order to drop into the heart, we have to make sure we're doing right action in the world. So we need ethics and we also need discipline. It is hard to tap into the heart with an untamed mind. For example, if you are practicing a metta meditation, trying to cultivate loving kindness, and it's a 30-minute metta meditation, and for 29 of those minutes, if your mind is distracted, it won't be nearly as effective in cultivating metta than if you are able to stay focused a majority of the time. So really, taming the mind and opening the heart go hand in hand. A spacious, loving awareness, loving actions in the world will naturally produce a calm mind. A calm mind will naturally produce more peace in the world. In Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, written over a few millennia ago, it is written, by cultivating attitudes of friendliness toward the happy, compassion for the unhappy, delight in the virtuous, and equanimity toward the wicked, the mind finds an undisturbed calmness. So for our meditation today, I wanted to take this journey. And in traveling down from the head to the heart, we'll begin by first noticing the mind, noticing our emotions, noticing our body, dropping into the heart, and then finally, letting go, surrendering into loving awareness. So to start, find yourself sitting in a position that allows you to be both steady and comfortable, both alert and relaxed. Finding that balance of stila or steadiness and sukha or spaciousness. So we create a solid foundation with our tailbone, elevate and straighten the spine, relax the shoulders, rest your hands. You can have your eyes closed or slightly open. And relax the muscles in your face, relax the cheeks, the jaw, and the space between the eyebrows. And as you turn within, notice where your mind is at. Is the mind dull? Is it excited? Is it bored? Is it thinking about the future? Is it thinking about the past? 
Just notice. Soften your attention. Sometimes it is described as like taking a feather to a bubble. You simply touch the thought and let it go. And if your mind has wandered, return it back to noticing. Noticing the mind wandering. And rather than following the mind along, just noticing it, letting it, letting it do its thing. And let us shift from our mind to our emotions. So our emotions tend to be centered somewhere in the torso. And shifting from our emotions to our body. So feel your belly expand and contract with each inhale and exhale. Feel your feet on the earth or your tailbone on the ground or your chair. Just take a few moments. Feel into your body. The sensations of touch, hearing, sight, taste, and smell. Once again, if your mind has wandered, bring it back to the physical sensations in your body. And next, let us shift our attention to the heart. 
Feel the center of your ribs, of your being. And our mantra for today will be, breathing in, I am aware of my heart. Breathing out, I smile to my heart. Breathing in, I am aware of my heart. Breathing out, I smile to my heart. Keeping your attention on your heart, repeating the mantras, breathing in, I am aware of my heart, breathing out, I smile to my heart. And finally, rather than focus on anything at all, release all thought, sensation, emotion, and focus, and simply rest. Rest in awareness. Resting in open, spacious, loving awareness, a place of unconditional love and unconditional acceptance.
closing with a short poem. Namaste, my friend. I see the light inside you. No matter the joy or sorrow that is in your heart right now, let us sit together in noble silence or conscious conversation. Let us grow together with compassion and healing grace. Let us wake up together, each as a mirror to the other, a reminder of the goodness and the truth of who we are. Thank you for being here, and thank you for being you. Namaste, my friend.